So just a, a little review from last week. So uh, last week, the, the main idea was this reality that our need for help, uh, our need for wisdom, our need for guidance is not the result of the fall. It's the result of being human. Remember, God made us to be dependent beings, dependent first and foremost on Him for life and breath and all things, but also dependent on one another. He didn't design us to, to live on our own, to figure everything out on our own, to have all the answers you know, in and of ourselves, but He designed us to be recipients of revelation from Him, recipients of information from outside of ourselves, uh, to need perspective, to need insight, to need wisdom uh, from others. And so that's just the reality of who we are. And the, the impact of sin, among other things, is that it makes us think that, no, we have everything we need in and of ourselves. <laughs> that what, what we see is what reality is. You know, we just deceive ourselves in, in our perceptions of things. And so we have to overcome that by having humility to acknowledge our need uh, for help, our need for wisdom outside of ourselves. And that's how we engage in relationship with one another in a wise way, by seeking counsel, by seeking perspective, by being willing to listen to what others have to say and not be defensive you know, right out of the gate, but rather be uh, humble about it and, and consider what others might be saying to us. And then as we're in this uh, class thinking about how can we help someone else, how can, how can we bring hope and encouragement and wisdom to someone else, uh, we have to have that mentality as well. That rather than saying, "Well, they probably, you know, they probably have it all together. They probably, you know, know what they need to do. I, I, I don't need to say anything." No, no, no. Lord has the Lord has put us into the lives of others so that He can use us to be ministers of His grace and His truth uh, for them. So uh, it's our joy and our responsibility to minister to one another in light of that. Uh, so we talked about how we are recipients of revelation. We are then interpreters of the revelation that God gives us, uh, the information that we uh, are exposed to in the world. We, we don't just see bare facts. We interpret the reality around us. And that interpretation will either be defined by God's definition or God's interpretation of reality, God's revelation, I should say, in His Word, or it will be uh, characterized by how... Uh, in and of ourselves, or uh, those who are opposed to God, like the devil himself, we looked at that from Genesis chapter 3, how they try to distort, how uh, there's distorted views of things. So we tend to, we're interpreters, not just observers. And then finally, we're worshipers, that we will worship someone or something, and we're going to talk more about that today. So that that's the essential uh, the principles that we talked about last week. Now I want to ask you this question, just I want you to think about this for a second, and then I'll ask for, for answers, but think about it first. When you think about someone who is in need of help, someone who particularly is going through some kind of trouble uh, that they're struggling with, not just, you know, we, we all suffer in different ways, uh, but, but think about someone who's maybe battling sin, a life-dominating sin, or they're responding to an experience of suffering in, in a sinful way. Think about what is that individual's most significant problem. And let's just assume for the sake of argument that they're a believer. So let's get that out of the way. Yes, their need is for Christ. Let's assume they're a believer. All right. So maybe specifically think about with a drug addict, with an alcoholic with uh, someone who battles or uh, is an angry person. Uh, think about a, a rebellious child, a depressed teen, a discouraged mother, a guilt-ridden father, a suicidal person. What's the one common reality that would be at the root of their struggle. All different kinds of struggles, all different kinds of people, different circumstances. What's the common reality? All right, for, uh, yeah, yeah. And again, that comes back to the reality that we're made to be in relationship uh, with others. And so that's a, a common need that we all have. Sure, Colleen. I was just going to say pride. Okay. Can you 
unfold that a little bit more? Um, in my life, every sin that I deal with, whether it's depression or whether it's sinfully doing something or sinfully not doing something, okay. stems from the fact that I either don't think I need help, don't want to go for help, think that I can do it best, mm-hmm. I know better than anybody else, I'm more important than anybody else, pride. Okay. So that's for me. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think you said it a little bit earlier, but it's like whom or what you're worshiping. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, if we're going to, you know, the Bible talks about being a slave of sin. And so, you know, daily, you know, if you're not trying to live for the Lord, you know, and you don't have that knowledge or wisdom, um, you're, you're serving, you know, the kingdom of darkness. Very good. Very good. These are all true things. Anything else? What what would be a common denominator among all of the different kinds of issues that people face where they're struggling and their need of help? What's the root problem? Yeah. Uh, I think it's putting their trust in something else besides God. Mm-hmm. And then that starts to backfire on them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Where you put your trust, very connected to worship for sure. Amy? Somebody memorized it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for the recording, I, I want to just put that in uh, <laughs> on the record. <laughs> Amy quoted what you think about, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. All right, good. Again, all these are all true things. And, and uh, this isn't a different answer. This is kind of bringing all of those answers together in one way, shape, or form. And that is the heart. The heart of man uh, and its distortion because of the fall is the common problem, uh, is, is the root issue that lies underneath all of the problems that we face. I mean, think about this. Um, imagine a college student uh, who uh, gets into uh, sinful, uh, addictive behavior with alcohol. Again, professing believer, just for the sake of argument. And let's say you take that man out of the college environment, could be a woman, but we'll just call it a man for now, uh, take him out of, out of that environment and uh, put him in a situation where he literally has no access to alcohol. And uh, he starts attending AA meetings. And for you know the period of time that he's in that, that new situation, uh, man, he's not drinking alcohol. And he seems to have a, a better attitude. Um, you know, things are just kind of uh, improving in terms of his disposition. Um, just, just with that information, okay, maybe there's other things you could nuance, but just with that information, can we say that that young man has changed? No, why not? Okay, he hasn't been put back in that situation. So, in a sense, there's not been a, a test, right? What else could we say of why he hasn't been changed? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps he's added a, a different um, uh, destructive behavior, which I think I've mentioned before, but you know, I ministered to a man who had the opposite swap. But yeah, go ahead. Good. Change comes from the Lord. Has to. Uh, we have to deal with things uh, before the Lord. Anything else? Again, all true things, all helpful responses. Yeah, the reality is, uh, just because a person stops a behavior that is destructive or wrong or sinful, whatever you want to call it, uh, doesn't mean that they've actually changed. Right? We spent time last uh, quarter 
uh, talking about Ephesians 4, looking at Ephesians 4, where Paul talks about the put off, renew the mind, put on. I think we might do that next week, I'm not sure. Um, but that principle that just ceasing something doesn't actually change. That when, when Scripture wants to describe what change looks like, for example, in the life of someone who's a thief, just not stealing doesn't represent biblical change. That there has to be a renewed way of thinking, a new approach to life, such that they become a hard worker who not only works hard, and so they're not stealing, but they're actually being generous to those who are in need. Or in the case of uh, someone who uh, speaks uh, in destructive ways to others, uh, they're not changing just when they stop talking, but rather they've changed once they've learned to speak in a way, and they're characterized by speaking in a way that builds and up and encourages and, and edifies others. So someone who's struggling with alcohol hasn't changed when they just stop drinking alcohol. Uh, perhaps, I mean, that's certainly a good thing that they stop drinking alcohol, right? But uh, at least to the point of excess. But, um, but that's in and of itself is not biblical change. And if the issue is the heart, then the heart has to change. The heart has to change with respect to their relationship with the Lord. The heart has to change with respect to their attitude uh, toward uh, alcohol and in terms of going to that as a response to the challenges of life. Uh, and so the heart has to change. And so that's what we want to think about today and, and next week in terms of if we're going to be used by the Lord in the life of another person who's struggling with something. Again, it, it doesn't have to be sin. It could just be that they're wrestling with the suffering that they're going through. Uh, we cannot content ourselves with behavior change. So that accountability, as we would often think of it, is like, hey, have you done this this week? No? Okay, good. And that's where the conversation is. Uh, when we're being used by the Lord to uh, minister to someone, what we're aiming for is heart change. So it's not just, have you not done that thing, whatever it is. It's also, what have you been doing? <laughs> and how has your heart toward the Lord been changing? How have, how have you been thinking? What are the things that you've been thinking about? Uh, what, how have your attitudes been changing? So th that's that's kind of the the uh, way of, of thinking that we're going to be talking about in terms of addressing the heart. So some of this will be review, especially for those of you who were in the class last week uh, and have been in other classes where we talk about the heart. But this is the kind of thing that we just constantly need repetition. We need to hear it again and again. We need to hear it from different angles uh, because it's so easy for us to just stay on the surface level and again, be content with behaviorism, with just be, uh, changed behavior. So, so let's talk about this. We're going to walk through several passages to see what the Scripture says about this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 43 to 46. And we're not going to do a deep dive here, but just make some observations of what Jesus is saying. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Jesus says... For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." So, again, last quarter we uh, used that three-tree picture throughout the, throughout the quarter, and it's really uh, represented here in terms of when, when we have uh, things that come out of us that are thorns, that are sin, that are uh, uh, undesirable responses to the things of life, those things didn't come out of us because of external circumstances. The pressures of life, the heat, even the good things of life, Rather, those things came out of us because that's what was in us, right? And that's what Jesus teaches here, that we are like trees, uh, that what grows out of you is based on kind of what kind of a tree are you? Uh, are you an apple tree? Well, you're going to grow apples. <laughs> are you a peach tree? Well, you're going to grow peaches. Uh, and you can't expect that someone who's one kind of tree is going gonna, is gonna to produce a, a different kind of fruit. Now the reality is we're all 
evil in one degree or another, right? We're, we're all sinners. And so uh, when he's comparing between good and evil here, uh, he's not doing this in a, in a way that is... Um, uh, his focus is not the overall in-depth nuanced nature of man. Because the reality is, you know, somebody called him a good teacher and he says, there's nobody good. <laughs> right? No, not one. So, okay, we're all evil. We understand that. That's why evil comes out of us. Now, at the same time, because of the work of the Spirit, when he's producing change and sanctification, he, he begins to conform us into the image of Christ. And that allows us, by the power of Christ, to then produce good fruit. So, uh, Jesus isn't getting into all of that nuanced uh, theology. He's just focused on that simple principle that the reason that evil comes out of us is because there's evil in us. When we say something, and we've all done it, that we regret, that as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're like, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. <laughs> you know, if only the speed of sound was slower, you know. <laughs> we could throw up some kind of barrier. Um, Whenever that happens, our instinct is to say, oh, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it, <laughs> right? When the reality is, no, 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 you exactly did mean it. You just didn't mean for it to come out, you know, and sound the way that, that it actually sounded. That, that's the reality. We can't ever uh, say that what comes out of us, it wasn't truly in us. Of course, unless we're being deceptive. And of course, we can all say things that isn't true of us but we're not talking about deception here. We're, we're talking about those instinctual responses, those things that we say you know, without thinking about it, or maybe we do think about it, and that's why we say it, because we've been thinking about it for so long. But it's the simple principle that, that our heart, and notice how he uses the heart there in verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces uh, by implication of his heart, produces evil. So our heart drives us. In fact, uh, if you want, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18. Jesus is saying a similar thing, but he goes, he, he gets a little bit more specific in this situation. It's a, it's a different moment. He's, it's a different conversation. He's talking about... Um, uh, he's responding to the, the Pharisees who were uh, complaining, complaining about um, uh, the, the disciples not washing their hands, if I'm re remembering that right. Anyway, he says in verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So same thing as what he said in Luke 6, and this defiles a person. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, Slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that's what it was, that they were, you know, God forbid, eating with unwashed hands, does not defile a person. I mean, they didn't even have soap for goodness sake, so what did it matter? Anyway. <laughs> that, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, what defiles us is, what, is what's already in us, right? We can't put anything, Jesus talked about eating food that's, uh, with unwashed hands, we can't put anything in us that's going to make us any more corrupt <laughs> than what we already are. And if we, you know, do eat something and we're, that, that's contaminated, and we get, you know, what we would know to be uh, food poisoning or something like that, and so our body, um, you know, tells us that uh, in very violent ways, uh, that that. Uh, physical experience represents, you can think of it this way, it represents the spiritual reality that's true of us all the time. That there's evil in us and nothing can be, uh, nothing can make us more corrupt uh, than we already are. And again, you just look at that list. You have everything from thinking, the evil thoughts, uh, so the the plans, the, the, the uh, interpretations, the the things that you think about saying to other people, the things you think about doing to other people, the imaginations, the, uh, all of the things that go on in your mind, as well as the actions of murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Uh, everything that's, that comes out of us, words, thoughts, and actions, 
come out of our heart. Our heart, remember, is uh, the, um, uh, the engine that drives our life. It's, it's the control center that, that really manages everything. We think of the brain as being what drives the body. It's the brain signals that tell every part of the body what to do. Well, the heart is what drives the life. And you're familiar with Proverbs 4.23. Uh, guard, keep watch over your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. So the heart is what drives us. And remember, the heart has three chambers, if you will. Uh, they're not walled off from each other, but three different components. One is the cognitive component. It's where we do our thinking, our believing. What's the, what's the second component? So e- emotional, what's another word for that? That, that I've used in the past? <laughs> Effective. Effective or affections. And by that, we don't merely mean emotions, which, but it certainly includes emotions in a sense. Uh, it's desires, values, priorities. And then there's the will, the volitional. Uh, so you can use you know, cognitive, uh, uh, volitional, and affective uh, components. Uh, those are all the different functions of the heart, and they all interrelate with one another. And then as life comes at us, we respond to life in light of what's in our heart, uh, and then we speak or we act or we feel according to how that life, uh, the, the circumstances of life, interact with our thoughts, feelings, desires, you know, values, priorities, commitments. And all of those things. Uh, if you want uh, more information about that, uh, come back next week. And uh, there's the lessons from last class where we talk about the heart in more depth. So we live out of our heart. That's that's the point here. Now, now turn with me all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 14. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, well, because it's something that we say, sure. Absolutely. Um, sarcasm, I don't think we can say in and of itself is sin, because I think uh, the Lord uses sarcasm in Scripture in a positive way. Uh, but so often when we use it, you know, we're using it in a way that's destructive. All right, in Ezekiel 14, <coughs> here's the situation. Remember, Ezekiel was one of the prophets of the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, uh, the people of Israel during the time of Ezekiel were um, totally... Uh, uh, they were uh, not worshiping the Lord. They were worshiping false gods. They had idols that they were worshiping. And so, of course, the Lord was using e- Ezekiel to uh, preach messages of both condemnation, judgment, but then ultimately promises a blessing, because Ezekiel 36 is the new covenant. So uh, you just get a wide range of, of that condemnation and uh, blessing in the book of Ezekiel. And here in verse or chapter 14, the, the leaders of Israel have come to Ezekiel because they want a message uh, from the Lord. They want to seek counsel from the Lord. Now, we, we would see that act, hey, we want to seek counsel seek counsel from the Lord as a good thing, wouldn't we? We, we would say, yeah, those people are right uh, to seek a message, a word from the Lord. Well, here's what it says in verses 1 to 5. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. So really, before they say anything, uh, the Lord tells Ezekiel what's really going on. Son of man... These men have taken idols into their hearts and have set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that he may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. All right. 
There's a lot there that we're not going to get into. But just, again, to make some basic observations. So these certain elders of Israel come, and the Lord reveals to Ezekiel that they have idols in their heart. So I've already told you they had idols, physical idols that they worshipped. Well, the Lord says they don't only have physical idols, they also have idols in their heart. Uh, They have cultivated a disposition, a a way of thinking, an attitude that they have rejected the true and living God, and they have embraced false gods in their heart. So the reason they worship idols, physical idols, is because they've already committed themselves to false gods in their heart. And here they are coming before the Lord to say, hey, we want a message from the Lord. Now, one of the things we've talked about in the past is this principle of stated beliefs versus functional beliefs. Where we can uh, say, yes, I believe in God. Uh, Yes, I believe that you know, God alone is to be worshipped, and we can affirm true things about God. We, you know, if somebody were to ask us uh, certain theology questions, we could say, yep, I believe that, yep, I believe that, yep, I believe that. But then, we respond to life in completely different ways, as if the things that we said we believed are true, and other things <laughs> instead are true. So, for example, we can affirm that, yes, um, God is in sovereign control of all things. And God is good, and God is faithful, and God is working out His promises, His purposes in my life, no matter what happens. We we can affirm that. But then something happens that's undesirable, that's unpleasant, that's painful. And not only do we sorrow and grieve over that experience, which would be appropriate, but we might get angry and bitter and tell God, why are you doing this? Or we might say, uh, God is punishing me, that I'm not uh, receiving what I deserve, and, or, or, or maybe I am receiving what I deserve, and, and that you know, I sinned, and so now God is punishing me. Even though on the, when we're having that theological exam, we would say, Jesus has paid all of my sin, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, now we experience and we're like, God is punishing me. There is condemnation for me who, who am in Christ. Right? So we can have our stated beliefs and our functional beliefs. That's, in a sense, what's going on here, where we see these men who, who are putting on a show before the Lord and say, hey, we want to know what the Lord has to say. When in reality, what's, what's really driving them is what's in their heart. Functional idols. And that functional idol is not just something that they believe, something that they desire and value, something that they're committed to, but it's actually a false god. It's uh, a a total uh, uh, worldview that there is someone else in control other than Yahweh, the God of Israel. And that's a picture of what we're all like, that when we... um, function differently than what we say we believe, the reason we function that way is because we're actually believing that someone else is in control of the universe, or maybe no one is in control of the universe. And so we have created, maybe without knowing it, most of the time without knowing it, we have created an idol, we've created a false god that we are, in a sense, bowing down to, and and we do that in, in various ways. And the Lord says here, um, in verse 4, that the one who takes idols into his heart, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. In other words, I'm not, the Lord is saying, I'm not going to ignore the fact that you have these idols in your heart. I'm not going to pretend like you're pretending. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like everything's good, and I'm so happy that you're here, and, you know, we don't have to talk about these idols. No, no, no. I'm going to address you with this reality, in light of the reality that you have idols in your heart. One of the things that we can 
say and and kind of see what's going on a little bit is this reality that um, idols, the the false ways of thinking that that we have, the the false uh, gods that we're worshiping, whether we realize it or not, one of the things that they do to us is they obscure our vision. Uh, These leaders, uh, of course we have no idea what all of what was going on in their mind, but they believed that they could have these idols and still go to the Lord and seek the Lord. They may have thought, perhaps, well, the Lord doesn't know that we have idols in our heart. So, you know, I can still go to the Lord and, you know, get from Him what I want and go back to my idols and get from them what I want. And if you say, well, where do you see that? I think just the reality that they're coming to the Lord while harboring idols in their heart uh, is a reality of that. And it's, it's much easier for them to know that they're hide- uh, harboring idols because they actually, again, had physical idols that they would worship. But then if you think about your own life, and uh, as I think about my own life, that's exactly what I do. That when I have, perhaps in a limited way, in, 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 a certain, uh, in a certain area of my life where I have gotten skewed thinking about uh, a situation and I'm maybe uh, worshiping you know, the idol of comfort or, or something like that where I'm preferring to choose uh, myself over what I know the Lord uh, would want me to do. I'm so easily able to convince myself uh, I can do this over here but still worship God over here and everything's going to be okay. Right? That's the deceptiveness of sin that, that we feel, that we think and convince ourselves that we can compromise uh, and yet the Lord's not going to be all that concerned about it. So idols obscure our vision and change how we per- perceive life. That's helpful for us to know, not only for our own selves, to consider, okay, how am I doing that? Is there an area in my life where I'm misperceiving life because of idols of the heart? But again, as we're thinking about ministering to others, that's one of the questions that we should be thinking about is, is there a a misperception? Is there a self-deception that this person has that is preventing them from taking the steps that they need to take to overcome their struggle? Are they thinking about God wrongly because of you know, the idols that might be in their heart? And uh, remember, an idol, uh, uh, in, in case you haven't, you're not familiar with that uh, concept, an idol is anything that rules you other than God. Anything that takes precedent in your life other than God. So God has given us his wisdom, His truth, uh, His instructions in His Word, uh, you know, the things that we should believe, the we- things that we should think, the, the lifestyle we should have, um, the priorities that we should have. Anytime that we put something else above that, we say, ah, I don't, I don't want to do it the way that God tells me, or I don't want to believe what God tells me, that has become an idol. We're believing something other than God and putting something else in God's place. So what God wants to do, uh, which we see here, is God wants us to deal with the idols of our heart before He's going to respond to us um, as if we don't have any idols. He's concerned about the idols. Now, let's think about this on a practical level. Uh, I don't have a specific percentage, but I'm going to say in the neighborhood of 80% somewhere in that neighborhood, of couples that come to counseling, say, we have communication problems. And, you know, that's just the first thing. Sometimes it's the only thing that they write on the form. You know, we need help with communication. We don't communicate well. But then you get to know what's going on in their lives, in their marriage, you know, history, and you find out communication is like the least of their problems. <laughs> and I say that not necessarily because they have all these other problems, though that's, that's somewhat true, but I say that because there's real heart issues that are driving all of their surface level manifestation problems. And... Sometimes, again, we think so superficially. We think about actions, we think about words, and those are important, those are, those are real, and those need to be dealt with. 
But if all we do is give communication skills or give you know, some kind of life uh, tactics uh, that, are, that are helpful, uh, like one specific thing that I've given over the years many times is something that the Lord had to help me with was you know, I would come home and you know, we had little kids and they had little toys, especially Legos and Polly Pockets. And there they are, right inside you know, the living room when I come into the house. And crunch, crunch, ah! You know, and I really struggled with anger and frustration. Why are these toys all over the house? And, you know, and so the Lord had to work in my life to help me to be gentle and kind and loving and recognize that these are just little kids and, you know, they're still going to be playing with them again later on in the day. And, you know, it's not the most important thing to have those cleaned up. Um, and anyway, so the Lord had to work in my life to, to prevent me from sinning every time I came home from work. Are you want to agree with me? Oh, I do agree with you. Okay. <laughs> oh, I agree with you. But I do have a question. Okay. And kind of back to the idols. Okay. Let me come back to that. Let me okay. just finish real quick since I got into it. So one of the things that I've told husbands, fathers over the years is, hey, when you're on your way home from work, don't be thinking about, oh, I just want to relax. Oh, I wonder what my wife is making for dinner. You know, I just want to chill after a long day. You know, if you think about it, like, Lord, I need to come home, and my wife's been caring for the kids all day long. She's been dealing with screaming children all day long, and uh, she's been working hard, you know, whatever it is she's been doing, uh, homeschooling in some cases, or cooking, or cleaning, or planning, or, you know, all taking care of home, whatever, or maybe she's been working in some cases. Whatever it is, Lord, this is, this is the reality that I'm stepping into. Help me to serve my family. Help me to, to love my wife. I've not done that perfectly, but that's counsel that I've given to many and tried imperfectly to apply uh, in my own life. Don't ask my wife <laughs> how imperfectly I've applied it. So I could give that counsel to someone and they could apply it. But again, the question is, have they addressed the idol in their heart? That commitment to say, you know, I'm the king of my castle. <laughs> When I come home, things should be the way that I want them to be. You know, uh, that that can be an idol in the case of some. And for you know, each individual, you can probably create some form or fashion of a scenario like that where you want things to be a certain way. And yes, you can come up with a strategy to not get angry and blow up when it's not your way. But the, the real question is, why do you get so angry? What's driving? It? All right, Dan. No, uh, one of the questions are I have when we when we talk about just idols of the heart, not necessarily with what was happening in Ezekiel, but um, some of what, how how do you deal with the idol of fear? Fear, because sometimes fear drives a lot of our behaviors, mm -hmm. um, and you know you can cut you know it, your cognition can say. Mm -hmm. I have to trust in God. I don't need to be fearful. Mm -hmm. How many times does it say do not be afraid, right? right? But yet, we're, we, we fear. Mm -hmm. We fear what may be happening within the scope of our mm -hmm. families, what may be happening within mm -hmm. the scope of our nation, what mm -hmm. may be happening in the scope of our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we, you know, you want to repent of having that, but it's really, it can win. Yeah. And that, and how do you, it's, it's hard to sometimes remove that and I don't want to call it an idol but on some level your you know your cognition knows you're not trusting God yet you're not able to always apply it the way you would like to apply it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question and I think one thing I would say is fear in and of itself isn't an idol. The object of our fear might be an idol. Mm -hmm. And so somebody might have a variety of things that they fear. Um which may or may not be related to each other, but the experience of fear is, um, you know, to somewhat state the obvious, it's uh, being concerned that something bad will happen that I don't want. It's not a technical definition, but I think you all understand that. And so the question is, what is that bad thing that I don't want? Is it death? I don't want to die. Is it... Uh, you know, relationships, uh, people that I love that I don't want any harm to come to them? Is it loss of my job? And then why is it that I don't want those things to happen? Because, for example, is it wrong to not want to die? 
No, it's not wrong at all. <laughs> I, I don't think Jesus wanted to die. You know, I think the Garden of Gethsemane tells us that. Is it wrong to not want to lose your job? No, it's not wrong to not want to lose your job. So th- that's the challenge of getting to the heart is having to peel back the layers to say, what, what is it that I'm wanting or not wanting? So just as a hypothetical, not wanting to lose your job could be as simple as, hey, I want to provide, I want to be faithful to the Lord in providing for my family. Again, that, that's not a bad desire. Uh, a different reason for not wanting to lose your job could be, I find my identity in my job, and if I don't have my job, I don't know who I am anymore. That would be an idol. Um, or a, a, a sinful version of the provision aspect could be, um, God calls me to provide for my family, uh, and I have to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to uh, up, you know, upset God. I'm going to disappoint God, and I don't want God to be upset with me, and so I need to do whatever I can to keep my job. Well, that's worshiping a false God because God isn't like that. God doesn't get upset and angry and disappointed in that sense. So, Again, we just with each fear, uh, you have to peel back the layers to say, what is it actually that I'm fearing? And that's, that's hard. That's hard work because you really have to you know, be honest with yourself and ask questions. And, and yet, you know, really what we're driving at in this whole lesson is that's what we have to do when we're speaking to others, is we have to draw out the heart. We have to, to, to get into the thoughts, the beliefs, the priorities, the values, so that we can see what is this person struggling with so that I can bring truth to bear. I don't know who was first, but Don. I was just going to say, I think words that would be the idol of fear would be safety, security, comfort, approval. All of those are mm-hmm. what can produce mm-hmm. fear. Yeah, helpful. Very good. Richard. I think it's the statement, God has a wonderful plan for my life. Uh-huh. I have a wonderful plan for uh-huh. and I'm concerned they don't want Yeah, that's right. That's super helpful. Yeah, very good. Think, along with anything, whether it's uh, fear or it's that temptation to lie or whatever, there, there are things that we, we do need to battle. Again, yes, fear itself is not a sin, but what is when we go back the layer? What is it? Mm-hmm. And we do have to continue to deal with those things. So it's not that, um, okay, I'm gonna, I deal with this one time, it's gonna be gone for the rest of my life. Right. No, it's, mm-hmm. we're still gonna yeah. be going in, but as we grow in Christ, we can deal with it uh, quicker. Mm-hmm. And more productively. And, mm-hmm. and the growth of faith, mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation, no trial has overtaken you except that which is common to man, God is faithful, and one of the promises that he is faithful to keep is that he will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you're able, as long as you're trusting in him, his power, his resources. Uh, But with the temptation, with the trial, he will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. There's There's no easy escape button, but there is an enduring ability and that's how we escape it the way out is the way through and uh, and that's in the case of fear it's trusting the Lord with whatever it is that we're fearful of and it's not easy right that's a, in many cases a moment by moment day by day uh, uh, exertion of faith and trust and preaching to ourselves the truth um, so all right, so we've talked about we're driven by the heart. We've talked about uh, one of the things that drives our hearts uh, really at a root level is idolatry, and that's, that comes back to the fact that we're made to be worshipers. So if we're not worshiping God, um, there, there is a, a throne in our heart. Every one of us has a throne, and either God is sitting on that throne and we are submitted to Him and His instructions and His guidance, wisdom, his standards, or someone, someone else or something else is on that throne. Sometimes we just put ourselves there, and so we create all the dictates for our own lives over and against the Lord. 
sometimes we put others, you know, you just tell me what to do. That's more the people-pleasing type person, the fear of man. Uh, whatever, whatever this person in front of me says, that's what I want to do because I want to please them. You know, that, that kind of thing. So we have to be very mindful of this reality because that's what we're aiming to bring about that root change. Uh, we talked about in the last quarter that if worship is the problem, if, sorry, if false worship is the problem, then true worship is the solution. And so we, we can't get to true worship if we can't identify what the false worship is. All right, so that's the idol's of the heart. And just to uh, affirm that from another passage um, in Romans chapter 1, when Paul is talking about uh, the unrighteousness of man, he says in verse 25 um, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. That's Romans 125. Uh, or backing up to verse. 22 and 23, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so that's just the the common temptation, the common reality of our hearts is we so easily and so quickly exchange God who is glorious and immortal and powerful and we remove him off the throne of our lives and we put something else there, something else that for whatever reason we think is going to be better. And again, you can go back to Adam and Eve and see how Eve did that. God was the one who had given, well, who had made them, who had given them instructions, who had, who had filled their lives with everything that they needed. Right? They weren't lacking in anything. He just gave this one instruction for their good. And Eve came to believe because of deception no, actually, I don't think God has good out for me. I think there's a different way to approach life that would be better. And that's, that's the deceptiveness of sin that we all fall into. Really, the, the question, one question we can always ask when, when we're tempted to sin or when we're trying to help someone else who's battling temptations is what is the lie that you're tempted to believe? There's going to be one or more lies that a person is tempted to believe. And identifying that lie will help get to the heart of the issue. Okay, one more passage, uh, Matthew chapter 6. So these, are, these passages we're looking at are addressing the, the heart issue from multiple um, linguistic vantage points, if you will. So we've talked about uh, idolatry in Ezekiel which is similar language to Romans 1.25. And then here in Matthew 6, Jesus uses the language of treasure. In verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he's in the context talking about our uh, thoughts about money, right? He goes on to say in verse uh, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either Either he will hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So that's the, the specific context in which he's making this statement about treasures and where your heart is. But it's a, it's a broader principle than just with money. He's saying, wherever, whatever your heart is committed to, uh, that's your treasure. That's your treasure. So the question is, where is your treasure? Is it, is it on the things of the earth? Is it the things that are uh, finite and going to pass away and, and going, to, uh, going to be wasted? Or is it in heaven where it's going to be eternal, where it's going to be valuable and lasting? And it's going to be where God is. And so we can also think in terms of, of treasure. What am I treasuring? What, am, what is, do I find so valuable and so important? Um, that's another way to think about uh, the idols of the heart. You know, when you think about what drives a person's life, just as they're thinking about the future, maybe a young person who has you know, the outlook of, of the future, the things that they're pursuing education-wise, 
uh, the career goals that they have, uh, the way that they spend their time. One of the questions is, what are you treasuring? What, what are you striving after? You know, what are you hoping to get into a position so that you can obtain? You know, I, I know a couple of young men who, at least in, in years past, I don't know if this is still the case, but had, had said to their parents, I just want to be a social media influencer. Okay. Right? <laughs> well, okay. Um, is that inherently sinful? Mm, no, I don't think so. You know, if someone says, I really want to be the president of the United States, is that sinful? No, it's not sinful. But the question is, especially with social media influencer, why? <laughs> you know, that role in particular is very much a, Hey, everybody, look at me, right? Uh, now, it'd be one thing if somebody said, I want to be a social media influencer so that I can influence people for Christ, <laughs> right? If that's the motivation, okay, well, how can I help? <laughs> uh, I don't have that many followers, so I can't contribute very much, but um, anyway. But if the heart is, I want to pursue this goal, and it could be, I want to be a medical doctor because, man, they make a lot of money. I want to be an investment banker because, you know, of the, the finances. I want to be a lawyer because of this. Right? And, and it's all oriented around, you know, self-elevation, um, uh, prosperity. You know, those are all uh, manifestations of my treasure is in the things of this earth. And that can drive, bless you, that can drive the sacrifices that people make. It can drive the way uh, they interact with others. Um, you know, maybe a more, uh, a very common thing, and this is true of, of uh, some, I'm trying to decide if I want to say many, some in our church is, you know, playing video games. And I've had a conversation with one individual who said, you know, I just want to be the best at this video game. <laughs> and so they invest hours and hours and hours six plus hours a day in playing this video game. And I'm thinking, what in the world? You know, why? <laughs> to what end? Just to be the best, to be the best among my friends. And how does that impact your marriage? How does that impact your you know, other relationships? How, how does that impact your uh, fellowship in the life of the church? You know, it's like none of, all of that stuff goes into the background because I just want to be the best. And, you know, we, we can... You know, if, if that doesn't offend you, we, we can look at an example like that and, and say, yeah, that's obvious. That's <laughs> an obvious self-elevating, self-promoting motivation, treasure, value that you know, impacts people's lives negatively. But maybe there's something in our own heart. You know, Jerry Bridges wrote the book, Respectable Sins. Sins in our own heart that just don't seem so obvious to us. Maybe not even obvious to others, but what we're striving for, what we really want. You know, I really want people to know that I know my Bible well. So I want to make sure I give a lot of really good answers in Growing Disciples or in my home Bible study or whatever. Uh, I really want people to know that I'm spiritually mature. So I'm going to, I'm going to frame my prayer requests in a way that sound, you know, very spiritual. I don't know. I'm making those things up. I'm sure nobody ever thinks those things around here. <laughs> but you, you get my drift that, you know, sometimes we value and treasure things that, and we put them in spiritual terms when really it's, it's a self-oriented way because what we're treasuring is the approval of others or something else that is not necessarily what God wants for us. All right, so all of this is just to say time and time again that what's in our heart controls our behavior. So you think about that in your own life, uh, whatever challenges you're facing uh, this last week or this coming week, you're, what you should be thinking about is what's in my heart that has given rise to my response to my circumstances. Whether it's a sinful response of anger, bitterness, uh, or whether it's even um, a, a God-honoring response. We can, we can acknowledge that, Lord, thank you for giving me the desire to honor you and helping me to honor you in this moment because I trust you. I'm wanting you more than I'm wanting you know, this other thing. What's, what's in your heart? And then as you think about conversations that you have with others, maybe a conversation that you'll have before the service or after the service where someone's sharing something difficult with you, be thinking about what's in their heart. 
And there's only one way to know what's in somebody's heart, and that is to ask. <laughs> right? I'm going to make the statement in the, in the message that Jesus never asks questions to gain information that he doesn't already know. He, he asks questions to draw out the heart so that somebody can verbalize what, what is already in there. And then that helps us, of course, as readers of Scripture. But, um, but asking questions uh, is so helpful. So that's, that's one of the great challenges in ministering to others is learning how to ask questions as opposed to making assumptions. Uh, but asking good questions that draw out the heart uh, and, and questions that are aimed at beliefs, uh, beliefs about God, beliefs about uh, themselves, beliefs about life, uh, questions that are aimed at desires and values, priorities, you know, it's just that simple question, what is it that you're hoping to get out of this situation? Or what is it that is, is so uh, fearful for you? What is it that you're trying to avoid in this situation? Uh, what do you believe about God? What, what role is God playing in this situation from your perspective? Uh, what do you think God expects of you in this situation? Those, those kinds of questions start to, to draw out the heart uh, and um, you know whatever the situation is, uh, I mean those questions that I just gave you are, are just you know, ver- universal. You can ask anybody in any situation those kinds of things. Uh, and then depending on what the situation is, getting more and more specific to draw out the heart. All right, last last point. Um, once the heart is drawn out, once there's at least some understanding of what's going on in the heart, the question is then how do we uh, how do we go from there? And that's where Hebrews 12 helps us. So the last passage, if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 12. No, sorry, Hebrews chapter 4. 4. Verse 12. Familiar passage to most of us. When the word, not when, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So as we're aiming for the heart, we have to remember that the solution or the understanding uh, and the solution comes from the Word of God. Because only the Word of God is able to penetrate, as it says there at the end of verse 12, to penetrate to the discerning of thoughts and intentions. Uh, There is great mystery in uh, the Word of God. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have taught or preached, and I'm thinking, I just stood up there and just blabbed for a while. And, you know, nothing, surely nothing happened. And then, you know, somebody shares, oh man, thank you, Pastor Gay, that was so helpful. And then sometimes, even sometimes, they'll say something, when you said this, I'm not thinking, I don't, I don't think I said that. <laughs> <laughs> whatever happens, the Holy Spirit takes His Word when it's presented in whatever shape or form, even, even um, you know, in, a, in a, a bad way, you know, in something that, um, you know, is less than clear. The Holy Spirit can still penetrate through all of the weaknesses that we have and how we communicate and still work in someone's heart. And so uh, the best thing that we can do is not try and think that we are heart surgeons and you know, once I get to somebody's heart, then I can really tell them you know, what to do. But no, we can bring them to the Word as it is applied to their particular circumstances and their heart and let the Holy Spirit then minister to them. And you know, bring conviction where it's needed, bring comfort, encouragement where it's needed, admonish them where it's needed, uh, and, and let the, the Spirit of God use the Word of God to, to work in their heart. Because as it says in verse 13, you can't hide from the Lord. As much as we think we can, we can't hide from the Lord. I mean, even recently I was thinking about a, a situation where I'll be ministering to someone outside of our church who is a known deceiver. They're just a liar. And uh, they'll basically say anything to you that you that they think you want to hear. So I'm thinking, how am I going to help this person if what they're presenting to me and, and how they're responding to me is what they think I would want? Uh, and I won't really 
know if I'm dealing with a real person or just some facade. And as I've just been pondering that this week, I realized, you know what? I don't know. But the Word of God knows. God knows. And He can take the Word and He can you know, work in their heart uh, if that's His will to do so. So um, our two great challenges uh, as we minister to others is getting to the heart, first and foremost, and then using the Word um, faithfully to, to minister to others. So that means you have to know the Word, right? Uh, you have to have some some idea of what does God have to say about this. The good news is that we are not alone. <laughs> Number one, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and in His goodness, sometimes He brings to mind something that we know we would not have thought of on our own. So He gives us a word from His word to minister to someone. But we also have one another, again, to say, hey, you know what, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm honestly not sure um, how, how to help you, but let's go to you know, so-and-so, our small group leader or ministry leader or one of the elders or this other wise person in the church. Let's go to them and, and let's talk together about what God's Word might have to say. <coughs> so uh, remember that we are, we are not alone, but we have one another uh, to minister to each other. All right, let me, let me end there for today. Tomorrow or next week we'll spend more time uh, on the hard delving a little bit deeper. Any particular questions or comments before we close? Yeah, Joshua. Yeah, thank you. So Joshua asked me this question last week and I said, ask me that next week. <laughs> and I forgot, so thank you for asking me again. Um, so it's a great question because as we think about helping one another, one of the possible temptations we can fall into is making our standard and our way of living what we think everybody else should live by. Uh, and that can be everywhere from, you know, the, the way that we dress, uh, the movies that we watch, the, um, holidays that we celebrate, you know, all, all kinds of things. And so, um, one of the things we have to be very, very sensitive to is the reality that, that we are not the standard, but God's Word is the standard. And so, as we're ministering, you know, we might, we, you can share kind of your own perspective, but we have to make it very clear what is God's standard, what is God's truth versus what is, what is my personal opinion or what, how I have thought about this. Um, so, you know, when, um, you know, you might have two parents who are talking to each other about parenting their, their kids. You know, one's sharing, hey, I'm struggling with this, and, you know, my kid's doing this and that, and what do you think I should do? Well, you can have a very practical conversation about what that can look like for that parent to, to uh, discipline or, you know, whatever, the, their child. Uh, but again, it has to be clear what I'm telling you is not the Word of God, at least in this practical advice. Uh, maybe this is something that I've done, or maybe this is something you can try, but this is not the Word of God. But even in a, in a conversation like that, we can have heart-level conversations where we're asking, so how are you thinking about this? Uh, what is it that you're you know, struggling with? What, why is this so difficult in terms of your own, your own emotional response? Um, you know, what do you think God is doing in this situation? You can have heart-level conversations and bring the Word of God to bear on their heart as they're struggling with parenting their child. But then when you talk about the practical ways of, of doing things, or even as you talk about the biblical principles that are involved, okay, here's the principle, and here's some possible ways to apply that. Um, or sometimes, you know, as you're just fellowshipping with others, you learn about things that they're doing in their life, you know, just how they've structured their life, how they spend their time, the, the way that they uh, enjoy entertainment, you know, things like that. And, and sometimes you hear things and you're like, I can't believe they live that way. <laughs> I can't believe they do that. Um, you know, to use a, what, I, what would be a common old, older example is uh, like playing cards. I can't believe they play cards. You know, that's like, that's like gambling. Uh, full disclosure, my family, uh, extended family, plays a lot of cards. No money involved. 
but um, so to me, it's not a big deal. But you know, in some in some cult, Christian cultures, church cultures, playing cards is is a no no. Well, uh, in so many situations, we can make again our standards uh, as what everybody else should live by, and so we just need to be very conscious of that temptation and sensitive to that. So you might be thinking, "Yeah, that's really unwise." You know, I I, I wouldn't do that. Um, I don't think that's helpful for your sanctification, you know. And, and possibly you can express those things in a loving, gentle way. But, uh, but be very clear about what is God's standard versus what is your standard. Uh, Romans 14 is a key passage where Paul talks about... Oh, let me turn there because I don't want to misquote it. Um, you know, he's talking about the the uh, debate about, you know, eating meat sacrificed to idols. And he talks about those who are weak in faith, those who are strong in faith. And he says in verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on a, on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And so he's basically saying, uh, in those matters that the scripture is not explicit of what's sin and what's righteousness, uh, yes, we can have conversations about how we should live, but we need to be very careful to not pass judgment. Um, and and that, that can happen. I mean, I've, I've had those kind of conversations uh, with people who are like, I, I don't think they're a Christian because they do this. I was like, ah, well, I think that's going a bit too far to make that judgment. So, anyway, thanks for raising that up again, Joshua. All right, let me pray.